Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode is supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. This time we hear a story from a retired Navy aviation maintenance officer and how he started his own business relocating historic airplanes. In 1977, I applied for and was accepted as an aviation maintenance limited duty officer, which meant I was a commissioned officer now, and I was charged primarily with, because of my background in aviation maintenance, as an aviation maintenance control officer. So I wound up being maintenance control officer for numerous organizational level squadrons. Uh, as you progress in rank, then your duty responsibilities change too, and I wound up uh, being a uh, aviation maintenance officer for two carrier air wing uh, battle groups. One of them was uh, CAG-10, Carrier Group 10, and the second one was Carrier Group 14. And Carrier Group 14, I was on the uh, USS Constellation. After my carrier wing duties, I wound up uh, going to the largest F-14 squadron in the Navy, and I was the maintenance officer for that squadron. That was BF-124 at NAS Miramar. And then after that tour, I went over to the wing staff, and I was the maintenance officer for all fighters in the Pacific Fleet. Then I wound up uh, going to uh, NAS Fallon, which if you're in naval aviation, you spend a lot of time during your career at Naval Air Station Fallon because that's where all carrier groups come in to do their integrated training just prior to deploying on cruise. And that's the first time they come together as a battle group to work integrated operations. Uh, uh, other words, working as an air wing instead of just working as a squadron on that squadron's specialty, bombers, uh, attack, fighters, uh, interceptors, uh, ASW, whatever the squadron specialty is. Anyway, once I uh, completed my career and I retired out of Naval Air Station Fallon in uh, November of 98. And while I was at Naval Air Station Fallon, the commanding officer of the base and I were talking one day and we said, you know, we need to bring a bunch of static display airplanes in here that are representative of the what we do here at Naval Air Station Fallon. And so uh, I started working real close with the National Museum of Naval Aviation in order to get airplanes assigned to us. And in my previous position as a wing maintenance officer for Fighter Wing Pacific, uh, we were at that time starting to dispose of a lot of the F-14s around the country. And I strategically placed some of them in museums. And what we'd do is we'd assign, get the museum at Pensacola to take custody of the airplane assign it to a different museum, we'd fly the airplane into them if, it was, if they were co-located on an air, airfield. And then I would send a team of uh, experts in to demill the airplane, deactivate the ejection seats, the weapons capability, take out the guns, that kind of thing. And then we'd turn it over to the museum for restoration or whatever they wanted to do. In most cases, they were flying airplanes, so they were in pretty good shape when they went in there, so they didn't really have to do anything. But anyway, that gave me the experience working with Pensacola on 
their process for aircraft acquisition, reassignment to qualified museums, and because we bought a pretty good selection of airplanes into Naval Air Station Fallon. And what I did is I teamed them up like Korean War vintage F-86 with a MiG-15, Vietnam and F-4 Phantom with a MiG-17 and a MiG-21, MiG-23, and every airplane that we could acquire that had actually operated out of Naval Air Station Fallon, we acquired and put in a uh, air power display park there on the Naval Air Station. That experience made me realize that there was a need for a company that would assist in museums and moving airplanes. So I elected to start my company, All Coast Aircraft Recovery, and we actually started it about June of 1999. And as a result of that, uh, and uh, my working relationships with not only the museum at Pensacola, but NAB ICP out of Philadelphia. And the way the aircraft reassignment process was at that time, the museum controlled any aircraft that was assigned to a museum. NAB ICP controlled the aircraft that were assigned to municipalities like to Chicago, Illinois, or St. Louis, Missouri, or for whatever reason. And so you were working with two entities and subsequent to my starting my business and working with the museum and NAB ICP, NAB ICP turned all their assets over to Pensacola also. So now the, all the aircraft reassignment come under one roof and one person at the museum at Pensacola. Very similar to the Air Force system at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for the Air Force Museum. And we've been fortunate enough to move a number of airplanes around the country that are supporting not only the museum at Pensacola and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, but uh, the U.S. Marine Corps Museum, the Army Museums, uh, and we've developed that working relationship over the years that's been mutually beneficial and supportive to my company and to the receiving activities for the airplanes, which represent a broad spectrum of museums around the country. The crew that I've selected, are, it just so happens that most of them are retired Navy. It's not a requirement to be retired Navy. It just worked out that way that the guys have gravitated to it. And every one of them have years and years of experience in aviation. And each one of them is up to including the point, uh, not only could, but have uh, acted as the crew leader on uh, various move projects. If I'm involved in one, I can send one of these guys to another site and he can completely uh, take care of what needs to be done to get the aircraft moved. I've sent one of the guys on a one-man crew move as a tech consult for a construction company had to move an airplane in order to put a parking lot where the airplane used to be. And my guys, uh, like I live various locations around the country and I'll talk to them. Whenever we start working a project, I let them all know when we're looking at uh, starting the move and check their availability. They all call me back and sign up. Yeah, I can do this. Uh, but they live in Arkansas, Michigan. Four of them live here in Florida. Uh, one, one in Jacksonville, one in Sanford. We've got two that live here, myself and Ray Brown. So I can put together a team of, if we're doing a fighter, up to five guys like an F-4 Phantom. If we're doing a B-17, I like to use eight guys. If we're doing a C-130, I like to use 10 guys. 
but I can put together a team in just a matter of days to go anywhere in the country to do these things. And so it works out real well when you walk up to an airplane that you haven't done before because everybody looks at it and it's very easy. Once you start disassembling the airplane, you already know we, we own the tech pubs. Technical publications. For everything that we've had to move. And if I, if I get a new one and I haven't moved it before, I'll order the tech pubs for the airplane. So we have all the specifics on how to disassemble the airplane, the weights of the individual component parts and things like that. So the guys are very adept at figuring out what needs to be done in order to get the thing moved. Once the component part is ready to come off the airplane, how to do the rigging in order to safely remove it from the airplane, get it to its staging area, get it from there to the truck. In a lot of cases, the truck will be there. We'll just take the component part off the airplane, put it on the truck. Uh, saves having to handle the thing multiple times. And when you can reduce the handling, you also reduce the uh, potential for damage to the airplane. So the company uh, that we work with for surface transport, Les Chapman Transport, has been not doing nothing but moving airplanes for over 30 years, father and son team. Uh, Skipper Shippers out of Jensen Beach. Uh, we use them. Uh, they've worked with Les Chapman Transport on many other projects. Both companies also work and support uh, the requirements for worldwide aircraft recovery. Worldwide is the main aircraft relocation company in, in the world. And we've always had a very good working relationship with them. You don't think about it that much unless you see one going by on a truck and say, oh, what was that? And where is it going? And where did it come from? But people ask me all the time, says, I can't believe there's that much business out there in moving airplanes. Well, you think of Worldwide's been in business of moving airplanes for over 30 years. I've been in business moving airplanes for 15 years. Les Chapman Transport's been in business moving airplanes for over 30 years, and Skipper Shippers has been doing it for probably 20 years. Every time we're on the road to move an airplane and travel to or from, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating a bit, I see at least two other airplanes being moved. This last road trip we were on, I saw a H-60 helicopter being moved. If it's H-60s or Hueys or Huey Cobras or anything, uh, there's really no work for a company like mine because you move the aircraft intact. You just arrive on site, you hoist it up, put it on the trailer, and away it goes. There's no disassembly required because of the size of the helicopters. When you get into the bigger stuff, like we've done H-53s and H-46 helicopters, then there's disassembly required, and that's where we get involved. Uh, but usually when a museum contacts you and says, Hey, the Air Force or the Navy or the Army or the Marine Corps just gave me this airplane. How much is it going to cost to move it? And you tell them and they, oh, he smoked. You know, it kind of waters their eyes a little bit. But you got to look at it and say, okay, if that's how much it costs to move this airplane, uh, one, do we have the funding and do we want to spend that much to move it? And we, we try to work with the museums any way we can. We'll... Uh, do anything from a tech consult where myself and one other guy arrive on site and they provide a five-man team or whatever and we show them how to take the airplane apart. doesn't matter to us as long as the end result is an airplane delivered to their museum 
that is in good shape and one that can be reassembled and, re and put on display in their museum. Uh, when we arrive on site, I normally tell the museum, hey, give me a local contractor that provides crane support that you have worked with before, that you trust, and that you recommend. They'll normally do that. I contact them. I set up the crane support. And I know from the day I get on board uh, and actually I'm able to physically touch the airplane, how long it's going to take me to have it ready to crane the major component parts onto the, air, to the trailer. And I've had a long-standing working contract with United Rentals. I just call them and tell them what size forklift, an extended boom forklift, I need delivered to the job site. They'll deliver it. I'll call them when it's done. They send me the bill when we're done. I pay the bill. And uh, that's that's been a very lucrative working relationship for almost 16 years now with them. So it gives us every piece of heavy equipment we need. I, I normally carry generators, compressors, whatever we need with us. I've got a, a equipment trailer that when we need to use it, we can load it to the gills with equipment and take it with us. Out of all those relocations, uh, we've become very proficient at things like F4 Phantoms. Uh, I normally allow six days to move one of those, but we've been uh, very successful in being able to arrive on site, start the disassembly process on an F4 Phantom on Monday and by Thursday morning it's loaded on the truck and en route to its receiving activity museum. Uh, we've done uh, quite a few Phantoms. We've done a lot of F-105 Thunder Chiefs and it's just because those are the airplanes that due to their retirement on active duty have become available to assignment to other museums over the last 10 years. You know we spend a lot of time planning we have spent uh, money in the past making sure if we're going to move this type of airplane, uh, in order to move it, what, what fixtures do we need in order to support that? And we fabricate the fixtures. I store the fixtures. For, you know, it winds up, you may not move that same type model series airplane for another 10 years, but if you do, we have the fixtures in order to move it. And most of these fixtures are fabricated in such a way that they're quick disconnect quick installs with pit pins and things like that. Uh, so in that way, we're not only being able to transport the airplane, we're being able to safely transport it without doing any damage. But uh, we've done some very unique airplanes, uh, A3 Sky Warriors, which weren't meant to come apart after they were assembled. Uh, C-130s, we've been able to do four of those which are the largest airplane we've done uh, so far. Uh, C-119 uh, flying boxcars. Uh, but I think probably the most unique aircraft that we've been involved with, uh, not only because of the uniqueness of the airplane and the age of the airplane, uh, but because of the historical significance of the airplane is the B-17 flying fortress. And we've been fortunate enough to move two of those so far. We moved one out of the Smithsonian uh, that was in storage in Washington, D.C., and took it. Uh, were able to move it for the Mighty Eighth Air Force Museum in Savannah, i.e., Pooler, Georgia. And then we were very successful in being selected to re reassemble and install the B-25 and the B-17 for the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, Louisiana. 
And again, not only because of the size of the airplane, but the way the aircraft were assembled, they each individual airplane type model series has its own unique technical problems that need to be addressed as you disassemble the airplane. And when you're involved in relocating an airplane that it's historically significant, the one thing you want to do is like a doctor, you want to do no harm to the asset. Uh, so you you very ginger in the way you disassemble the airplane, the way you support the component parts as you're staging them, and then you're very precautious at how you load them and protect them, pat them out, if you will, uh, so that when they're being transported, even though they're on air ride trailers, uh, that uh, nothing's going to happen that chafes one, uh, dents one up, uh, causes any structural damage to them whatsoever. Some of them do have structural damage to them when you arrive on site just because they've been around so long and they've been stored in various facilities and been moved and relocated before. But still, again, our job is to make sure we take it apart and we deliver it to the museum in as pristine a condition as we can. And we take great pride in being able to do that. I think anybody who gets the opportunity to visit the uh, mighty 8th Air Force Museum in Pooler, Georgia, and the National World War II Museum in New Orleans can see the result of what we've been very successful at being able to uh, do here in the past. Like I say, the aircraft being a B-17, uh, the individual component parts, engines and props, uh, the outboard wings, the inboard wings, the fuselage, the tail components. You're talking weights that run anywhere between 700 pounds to 2 tons. The fuselage is in the 7-ton range. Uh, by the time you get it uh, stripped down to its transportation weight, if you will, and there's uh, various fixtures that need to be fabricated in order to facilitate the move on the ground facilitate the safe transport. In a lot of cases, the fixture is designed so it's a combination transport fixture. I, it makes the aircraft component mobile on the ground and it's also a shipping fixture that helps you secure it without uh, incurring any damage once it's on the truck. Most of these older airplanes were designed to be stripped in the field, if you will. A lot of them were transported in pieces in crates and had to be reassembled on site once they arrived in the European or the Pacific Theater. And in order to facilitate that, a lot of the hoisting fixtures and uh, things are built into the airplane, as long as you have the right fixture. In the case of the B-17, they're all built in, so you open a panel and you uh, raise the hoisting adapter for the airplane. You can hoist the entire airplane, you can hoist the outboard wing, the inboard wing, with its own set of hoisting adapters. And so in that regard, it makes it pretty easy as long as somebody hasn't damaged one of the hoist fittings before. And again, remembering the airplanes are were made, uh, probably the oldest one, 1936 time frame, up through the end of World War II. And a lot of them, unfortunately, after the war, they were declared excess to the requirements, and they had built so many of them because... Back then, the average survivability rate of one of these airplanes was predicted to be 12 missions. So in that regard, there were so many of them produced because we knew we were going to need massive quantities of these airplanes. It wound up putting us in a position where we had to store 
hundreds of them after World War II at various locations around the country. And unfortunately for us now, in retrospect, probably destroyed far too many of them. And the ones that are left are very rare indeed. They're very prized assets. They're highly sought after assets. So in the case of the Air Force Museum, when you're talking about a B-17, they're very, very cautious and, and particular about who they allow to have one of them. Matter of fact, they're in the process now of going out to any of them that are available out there. And if they're not indoor display, uh, they're uh, in the process of relocating those aircraft to a museum that can't afford to put them on indoor display in order to preserve the asset. So, you know, like I said, we're very fortunate to have been able to do multiple type model series airplanes, but uh, kind of the highlight, if you will, of our company's experience has been able to move these two previous B-17s and have another one in the near future that we're gonna be relocating, so. Commander Chuck Mosley is the owner of All Coast Aircraft Recovery, which is of course still operating today. Actually, this interview had to be scheduled a little bit more precisely than usual, since he had to leave to conduct a site inspection for one of his next moves. Chuck's business has a perfect track record. So far, no problems. And has transported a ton of different historic and private airplanes. Chuck's own airplane is a very unique 1977 Varga Kachina, and he's currently restoring a 1946 Globe Swift as well. You can find pictures of Chuck's airplane relocations, along with more information about the stories he told in this episode by going to the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of The Logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in the logbook.